global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, may we never take our eyes off him. Even as now we've had to take a moment to get a glimpse at the darkness of not just the music industry, but what's happening in all throughout the entertainment industry. Lord, we don't want to get immersed in even analyzing that. We want to turn now to you. Remember your provision for our salvation to remember that there's nothing we can do or have ever done that would so make you not love us and save us so long as we repent. And Lord, we pray that you would give us repentance, that you would give us faith, that you would give us the strength to overcome. We have a hard time even looking up to your throne. Sometimes we feel like we've gotten ourselves in such a big mess. But Lord, we know you extend forgiveness as the father of the prodigal son with no conditions attached. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and love. We pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to cleanse our lives of all of this spiritual garbage. Lord, if we need an accountability partner, if we need somebody to help help us out with this, to throw some things away, to get some things out of our home, give us that strength to humble ourselves before a friend, before an elder, before a family member, to really follow through with what we need to do. Father, we want to be recorded on the books of heaven as having homes and having lives that are completely sanctified to you, where we touch no unclean thing. And we know, Lord, then you can receive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is Todd Gardner, executive producer for the show. You've already heard Scott speak passionately about his Media on the Brain DVD series, educating people on how the entertainment industry and even our cell phone relationship is reprogramming our brains in negative ways. Well, we're excited to bring you some additional excerpts from the Media on the Brain series in today's radio broadcast. We've been through two sessions now on on TV, Hollywood, the advertising industry, and how these different forms of media are impacting not just our brain, but also controlling and manipulating our minds. Well, we're transitioning in the seminar now into the topic of music. Who's the musician behind the music? If you study into the occult, which I don't recommend, by the way, if you want to you know, confirm a few things from this, from this seminar, do that. But then, but then really focus your attention on positive things instead of trying to find all the, all the dirt and all the conspiracies and all the, the satanic things in the world. But it is important for us to know this. What's up with the eye symbolism just exploding in the music industry? It's everywhere, especially in the last 10 or years or so. And actually, Lady Gaga gets behind the backstage with her bandmates and has a prayer before they go out and perform. And it sounds like a Christian prayer. It's very deceiving. Be very careful with, uh, with these musicians, and when, especially when you see the symbolism they're using. And in case you didn't know, the, in the occult, they use symbolism to communicate with each other. It's a way of sort of tipping their hat to their loyalties, show their cards a little bit. 
Now, before I tell you the origins of the eye symbolism, just real quickly, we mentioned Diana using the eye symbolism. Not a, not a lot of uh, digging that you really need to do to conclude that this is not holy. You've got dark angels with uh, black devil horns and every manner of darkness and wickedness coming out from these musicians that grew up in the church in a lot of cases, that were innocuous, that were okay for a time, and then they turn very dark. We're going to talk about some more of them later. But back to the eye symbolism. Where did this come from? Carlos Santana stated the following in 1999. In my meditations, the entity called Metatron said, we want to hook you back to the radio airwave frequency to reach junior high schools, high schools, and universities. Once you reach them, we want you to present them with a new form of existence. What form of existence is that? In Santana's words, remember your divinity. So Santana is having spiritualist meditations, experiences. He, he communicates with a demon called Metatron. I don't know if this is Satan or another. It doesn't matter. But this demonic figure says to him, we want you to go do an outreach program. The devil has an outreach program. It's called the music industry. You're going to reach junior high schools, high schoolers, university students. We want to get the young people especially. Remember what Aleister Crowley said. We're going to bring in an army of youth. So we want you to reach them and present them with a new form of existence. Remember your divinity. This is what he heard in his meditations with demons. In fact, he also heard, according to the 2000 Rolling Stone, March 16, that Metatron is represented by the, guess what? The eye inside the triangle. This is why this symbol has become so popular. The, the, the final push, post-20th century, the devil shows up to, to Santana, who was one of these musicians that was involved with a lot of different other musicians, and he had been communicating with the dead too, with Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis, or demonic impersonations thereof, rather. And you'll notice immediately after this, 1999, 2000, this is when eye symbolism starts to take off in our modern time. What is the message behind the eye symbolism? Remember your divinity. Who is it that said that to Adam and Eve? I, 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 I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. This has been the devil's message for over 6,000 years. It's nothing new. It's a new form of existence to many. But we know that it's a lie that dates back to the origins of evil. Well, it's not just Santana and the use of eye symbolism. There's other symbolism that you can find in the music industry. For example, Madonna's 2012 Super Bowl halftime show. Madonna described the importance that she attributed to her halftime show. This is Madonna. She said, The Super Bowl is kind of like the Holy of Holies in America. I'll come at halfway of the church experience, and I'm going to have to deliver a sermon. It'll have to be very impactful. Hmm. So what did she do when she came out on the Super Bowl in 2012? Ushered in by scores of Roman soldiers and women. In fact, her ritual costume resembles the ancient Babylonian goddess Ishtar. A distinctive headdress on Ishtar. Two spires coming up. Three columns coming up and out from the shoulders of Ishtar. Again, Madonna. Three columns up and out from the shoulders. Way above her throne, there's an M with a solar disk. So no surprise that the more things we find in here, the more similarities that we find. We have a winged solar disk that is displayed and illuminated upon the stage of, of Madonna at the end of the show. This winged solar disk has been used in occult circles for many centuries. Even in the Masonic Lodge, you will find the same sort of winged solar disk. 
the winged solar disc was used in, in Egyptian magic to invoke spirits. Now, Madonna, being the high priestess of the music industry, if you will, in many recent years, you see all these other stars joining her in the occult. And some of the songs sing of, of being demon-possessed and unbelievable, terrible things. It's really, really dangerous stuff. And we thought they were okay. We've covered a lot of different groups. We've seen a lot of different musicians who were inspired literally with their lyrics or their songs or the actual music from the demonic realm. We've looked at musicians who have channeled their music, who have talked about being possessed. We've looked at their lyrics being satanic, being do what thou wilt. But those are the bad ones. I can find some good ones. Remember the rat poison laden buffet? We stick around at the buffet. It's like, okay, he didn't put up my favorite musician, so I'm safe, and I'll continue to listen to the few musicians at least that didn't show up in the seminar. Is that wise? I would suggest no for the following reason. Quote from a musician. It says, we were doing witchcraft, trying to do witchcraft music. Now, if I asked you to guess who that musician was, you may say Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica, you know, uh, Marilyn Manson. You know, it's, it's got to be one of those kind of bad groups that the bad kids listen to, right? Or, you know, the druggies. And actually, spiritual sound, a white spiritual sound, religious music, that's the whole movement. That's where I'm going. It's going to scare a lot of people, said Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. The music that the good kids listen to, right? Pretty harmonies. It's just nice melodies. It's just music about surfing. It's harmless, right? It's not all this satanic stuff. Think again. They were doing witchcraft. Witchcraft music. Now, I never would have thought that. I didn't know. Another one that I thought was okay, back in the 90s when I was a teenager, you know, I was into Nirvana and Metallica and all these terrible bands. And the good kids listened to Tori Amos and others like her. But then I found this quotation. Tori Amos sang a song called Father Lucifer and stated, I wanted to marry Lucifer. I don't consider Lucifer an evil force. I feel his presence with the music. I feel like he comes and sits on my piano. Wow. And we thought they were okay. Another one that I thought was okay and that the good kids listened to, Sarah McLachlan. In fact, the style of her music, In the Arms of an Angel, it's a pretty beautiful song. We're going to talk about musical style in part four. It's not objectionable at all. It's beautiful music. And I thought, oh, the angel. No, it's an angel. This is a religious song. But which angel? I think the devil has gotten a bad rap, she said. The devil is the fallen angel, the one who was willing to embrace the dark side, whereas all the other angels were in total denial. The devil is more like us. Sounds like she has an affinity for the devil. Now what about some others that we thought were okay? You got your teeny bopper music, right? The young girls listening to your Taylor Swift, your Hannah Montana, the Justin Bieber. Hannah Montana I don't have to say much about because she, she's Miley Cyrus and went from being the cute Disney, you know, just pop star, just fun stuff, to this overtly dark and highly sexualized singer. Taylor Swift is very popular among Christian girls. Justin Bieber, again, very popular among young ladies. Well, I was asked to go look into them. A student asked me, Mr. Ritzma, what about Taylor Swift? Uh, What about Justin Bieber? And so I looked up some of their lyrics, and I found a theme running through some of their lyrics. Both of them had lyrics similar to something like this. I'm going to talk on the phone to you late at night. I'm going to sneak out the window. You're going to come up the stairs of my house, and your mama don't know. 
And I'm going, this is what we're listening to at age 12 or even younger. Or how about any age? It's, not, it's inappropriate for a 25-year-old to listen to. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? We thought they were okay because they're not flashing occult symbolism and they're not dressed all in black like Ozzy Osbourne. But if you take a look at the lyrics, we find that if we're going to be guarding the avenues to our soul and avoiding thinking, hearing, seeing anything immoral, then we've got to take serious thought about these musicians too. Now, Carrie Underwood, she's actually a Christian. She sings, How Great Thou Art. And so I'm not going to make any comment on her, her faith, on her heart. I would never stand in judgment. But I do want to analyze the material she's putting out, as well as One Direction. Clearly, And by the way, I had a student that I shared. I said, okay, I'm going to get up to One Direction. And the student said, okay, fine, fine, fine. They have, they have only two bad songs. And it's such and such and such and such. And it wasn't the one that I was putting on the screen. And they're like, oh, that one isn't really that bad. So apparently there's much worse. But again, I don't need to spend that much time. Let's just move on, and we'll see Carrie Underwood as well. I looked at on, online for, for 10 seconds. I pulled up the first clip, watched the, watched the YouTube clip for 10 seconds. There was a clubbing scene with these people all up on each other, and it was highly sexually inappropriate. And I'm not going to say she's not a Christian, but that was not Christian, clearly. And the, the song, the theme of the song was, I'm going to smash your vehicle in and damage and destroy your truck because you cheated on me. The song was called Before He Cheats. Basically, I'm going to teach him a lesson. It's not what the Bible said, which is leave vengeance to God and forgive others and love your enemy. It's the opposite of that. I'm going to vandalize and destroy your property. And again, I'm not going to say she's not Christian, but that is not Christian. And I don't want to steer any Christian young people to listening to that sort of music either. Now, what about country music? I always thought that was okay because it's filled with patriotic values, even family values. But country music is kind of a funny animal. One song you listen to is highly moral, promoting of good values and American ideals. I'm all for it. Uh, And then the next song on the playlist you hear about, uh, alcoholism or adultery or, or these terrible scenes of, of rural immor- immorality in this case. And here's what Conway Twitty had to say about the country music scene. From a top insider, he said, As a country artist, I'm not proud of a lot of the things in my field. There is no doubt in my mind that we are contributing to the moral decline in America. There's no doubt in my mind that that area of the worldly music, of the secular music industry, has got a lot of rat poison too. Do I need to stick around and try and find the good stuff? To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us that there is an effort to conform our minds to the worldly pattern. And where is this mind manipulation agenda more effective than through the 21st century media and entertainment? MTV founder Robert Pittman famously stated, At MTV, we don't just shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. It's time to wake up, folks. At every church I speak at, folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? 
So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com, use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents engaged in what George Barna referred to as God talk. They actually talked about spiritual things, naturally, continually. Religion wasn't merely a component of their lives. It saturated their lives. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now, more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. In session two, we looked at the open agenda of Hollywood and of of the advertising industry. But what about the music industry? The MTV founder, Robert Pittman, put it this way. The open agenda of the industry. The strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going. Make them forget their logic. You've got them. More on that in session four, on the effects of these forms of music. But then he says this. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. Think about that as a young person. We think that we're finding freedom by going into the media. I don't need all the rules and all of the legalism and all of the, you can't do this from the church and from my religious upbringing. I'm going to go find freedom in media and immerse myself in this culture of entertainment. But then you find out that Edward Bernays of the world, that the Mark J. Ryans have explained you're actually getting captured, that you're getting enslaved, that this area is not a place of freedom, but quite the opposite. You're getting owned. That's not my word. That's Robert Pittman's words. At MTV, we don't shoot for the young people. We own them. Listen to this one. You've heard the song maybe, My Sweet Lord. It sounds like a wonderful Christian song. George Harrison explained it this way. My idea in My Sweet Lord, because it sounded like a pop song, was to sneak up on them a bit. 
The point was to have the people not offended by hallelujah. And by the time it gets to Hare Krishna, they're already hooked and their foot's tapping and they're already singing along. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To kind of lull them into a sense of false security. And then suddenly it turns into Hare Krishna. And they will all be singing that before they know what's happened. And they will think, hey, I thought I wasn't supposed to like Hare Krishna. You see how they subtly get the Eastern religion slid into there. So all the Western American Christians who, are, who like the sound of hallelujah, they get accustomed to it. They're tapping along and all of a sudden they're now honoring Hare Krishna. It's all happened subconsciously. More on that in session four. How about Elvis? We haven't talked much about this individual. Now, if you know your history, rock and roll was a sexual innuendo. I won't explain that. But to be called the king of rock and roll is to be called the king of something highly inappropriate in the context outside of a monogamous committed marriage. And here we have Elvis dancing as if he is engaged in that very act. And I hate to say that, but they used to not permit him to be filmed from the waist down on television because of how inappropriate his dancing was. And usually when I hear that story told by a, by a historian or somebody of today, they'll say, oh, remember in the olden days when we were so prude? Well, wait a minute. I'm not interested actually in society's standards. I'm interested in God's standards. Shouldn't we be saying, yeah, that's disgusting. So I, I, we become so desensitized that we forget what God's standard is. So we have to ask ourselves, is that just because in the olden days we used to be so conservative about it? No, I think we need to recapture some of that. Be resensitized, as we said in session one. You know, Elvis, of course, got into drugs and all sorts of uh, immorality. And he went back to his boyhood pastor. He said to his pastor, I've done everything you taught me not to do. And I'm the most miserable man in the world because of it. It's a serious thing. But I've been told that he was a gospel singer. You know, we as Christians should listen to that, encourage that aspect of the Elvis legacy. A gospel singer. Was Elvis a believer? Let's read. Elvis constructed a personalized religion out of what he'd read of Hinduism, Judaism, numerology, theosophy, mind control, positive thinking, and Christianity. Of course, when you add all those together, you completely lose the Christianity. But the night he died, he was reading the book Sex and Psychic Energy. Elvis loved material by Guru Paramahansa Yogananda, the Hindu founder of the Self-Realization Fellowship. In considering a marriage to Ginger Alden, which never came to pass prior to his death, Elvis wanted the ceremony to be held in a pyramid-shaped arena, quote, in order to focus the spiritual energies upon him and Ginger. Elvis traveled with a portable bookcase containing over 200 volumes of his favorite books. The books most commonly associated with him were books promoting pagan religion. Theosophy, numerology, Hinduism, all these things, combine it all together. And that's the religion of the king of rock and roll. The Rolling Stones were very subtle in voicing their sympathy for the devil. Actually, not so subtle. They named their album Sympathy for the Devil. The song Sympathy for the Devil goes like this. Please allow me to introduce myself. You see if you can figure out who this is. I've been a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Made blank sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his, Jesus' fate. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. Well, then he doesn't require us to guess because he says, just call me Lucifer. This is a song written from the point of view of the devil. 
I made sure that Jesus was crucified on the cross, he sings. And this, by the way, was a song that was played by another group, and that group was U2, Sympathy for the Devil. And Mick Jagger, the open agenda of the industry, right? We are moving after their minds, and so are most of the new groups. We're not here to just entertain. We are here to move after minds. How about changing the value system? We have Madonna and Britney Spears at the MTV Music Awards in 2003 singing this lyric. We're bored with the concept of right and wrong. It's the open agenda of the industry to change the value system. That's what David Crosby put it as. He says, I figured the only thing to do was to swipe their kids. I still think it's the only thing to do. By saying that, I'm not talking about kidnapping. I'm just talking about changing the value system which removes them from their parents' world very effectively. And don't think you won't be influenced by it. You might say, oh, I know the lyrics are bad, but you know, I'm just listening to it for the music. I want to close with a Bible text and then a quick story. Here's what the Bible says about our rat-poison-laden buffet. It says, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And if you're like me, you're going, But, but I love so-and-so. Are they into spiritualism? They didn't show up in the presentation. For example, my favorite band of all time, I was obsessed with them. Went to their concerts, followed all the news about them. I was obsessed. Band called Weezer. Later found out that the lead singer is a practicing um, New Age meditator. He, he's very much in an hour in the morning, hour in the evening, he's engaged in New Age meditation. And I, I just thought it was nice music. And then I look back with more objective mind and I'm going, yeah, those, a lot of those songs really were highly inappropriate. Not to mention the style of the music that you'll find out in part four has a major effect regardless of lyrics. But I want to close again with a story. I was having a conversation with a uh, pastor who happens to be ministering in the Hispanic community. And he came across a practicing witch. And he was just having a conversation with the, with the, with the witch. And, the, and he said, you know, what do you do for a living? You know, how do you, how, do you, how do you make ends meet? And the guy said, well, actually, people pay me money to be able to get a woman to go with them. So in other words, man A pays me money to get the woman to leave man B and go with man A. Wow. So you can just, what, cast a spell? He says, yeah, I cast spells, and I can get a woman to leave her husband and go with this man who paid me money. And I could do that with, any, I could do that with your wife. I could get her to leave you and go with another man. Well, at this point, the pastor says, um, I don't think you could do that with my family, because we're Christians. Well, at this point, the witch says, oh, I get Christians all the time. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. And this pastor again says, well, I, I, I'm telling you, you would not be able to touch my family. The witch says, okay, let me ask you a few questions. I'll entertain this. He says, do you watch TV and worldly things, soap operas, these kinds of things, and movies? Do you listen to worldly music? I don't think he used the word worldly, but do you listen to music? The pastor says, sometimes classical music, but mostly just sacred music. And he said, no, I'm not talking about classical. He's talking about, I'm talking about the jazz and the country and, the, and these kinds of music. And he said, no, we don't listen to those things. Do you have uh, worldly magazines? Do you have novels? Do you have these kinds of things in your home? No, no, we don't. Do you have any secret sins? No, I'm, I, I, I've been saved by Jesus Christ from time to time. I slip up, but no, I'm not living in an open rebellion in, in a secret way in my life. I don't have any secret sins. And the witch says, okay, well, I have to acknowledge 
I would not be able to touch you. I would not be able to get your wife to cheat on you. I would have no power over you. What's the lesson here? The lesson here is, if we allow these things into our homes and into our lives, the spiritual realm can make claims upon us based upon what we invite into our lives. We say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let the devil in the front door. I'm going to chur- I'll go to church. I'm not going to have Aleister Crowley and study him, but I'm going to let the devil in the back door by letting the music industry into my home, every manner of immorality from Hollywood, you name it. It's all, it all can come in. And at that point, we've lost the first part of that verse from James that we quoted earlier. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. If we're not living in submission to God, we can't claim the rest of the verse, which is resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that's why I get story after story from people, as I mentioned in part three. I get stories from people who are experiencing stuff they did not want to see in their homes. And maybe it's not the hoogie-boogie scary stuff. Maybe it's just temptations. Maybe we're just feeling overcome by sin. I wonder if the devil's gotten a backdoor key into our lives and into our homes. Think about this verse. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I'll receive you. That buffet is not a place to go find the things of God. We can find the true and the good and the beautiful at the buffet table of the Lord. That's my challenge today. That's how the Lord challenged me. And I pass it along to all who might hear. And remember, to share this message is like it says in Ezekiel 33, that if you don't warn a wicked man from his sins, from his, warn a wicked man from his ways, you become a partaker, you become responsible for it. So this message in a church that has become so worldly, that has allowed every manner of Satan's material into our lives, we've got to take this question very seriously. Do we want to be the 144,000 in white robes who overcome by the blood of the Lamb? If we do, it's time for a thorough cleansing of all things worldly from our lives. 